Thank you for joining in for this City Lights Church podcast. We're a new church in the north of Brisbane, and you can find out more about us at www.citylights.community. We hope that this podcast encourages you in your journey of following Jesus. Now, uh, I want to continue our series called Bold Faith today. And the purpose of today's message is not to bless you. The purpose of today's message is not to bless you. Today's message is not about you. It's not about me. It's about our city. And the purpose of today's message is not for us to be blessed, but to uh, for us to realize that God has called each and every one of us to be a blessing to the city. And I want to talk a little bit about what God has called us to do as a church in this city. We will actually want to turn outwards. Do you know that uh, somebody, a type of person who is who considers others, and also a Christian who puts the interests of others and what Jesus is interested in first, that is a rare quality. In fact, in the Bible, the book of Philippians, uh, I believe it's chapter 2, the Apostle Paul talks about this young leader called Timothy, and here's what he says about him. In verse 20 of uh, chapter 2, he says, I have no one else like Timothy who genuinely cares about your welfare. All the others care only for themselves and not what matters to Jesus Christ. And so this idea that a group of people would be people who would say, hey, I don't just exist for myself. I don't just exist for my own needs, but I'm actually here to be a blessing and to turn outward and to look at the needs of the city and to look at what God has given me and to put Jesus first and to put others first in my life. It's a rare quality. But here's what I want to say and even prophetically declare over this church now and in the future. This church is and will be filled with people who possess that rare quality to think about others, to put Jesus first in their life. And I think that's such a wonderful thing to aspire to. But who knows, there is some pressures because... If you're anything like me, you've got a few things going on in your life. Who's got some things going on in life? Who's got some pressures? Who's maybe got a little bit of drama in their life? Maybe you're the source of the drama. I don't know. I don't want to judge too much. No, I'm only joking. But we can be sometimes crushed by life, sometimes consumed by life. And sometimes we can say, I don't have the resources, internal resources to think about others, to do something for others, to look outward. But I just want to say that when we start to do this and embrace this, it's so freeing. It's so freeing to think about others and also to allow ourselves to be filled with the presence of God and to be renewed and refreshed so that we can give to others. Now, I want to... uh, tell you why we exist as a church. This is our statement of purpose. All right, it's coming up on the screen right here. It says this, following Jesus, 
for the renewal of our city. This is a statement where we are deeply connected to the person of Jesus, to the power of Jesus, and also to the pattern of Jesus. We want to, when we see the things that Jesus did, the way that he lived, the way that he put others first, the way that he operated in the love of God, the way that he operated in the power of God, we say as a church, yeah, I'm in. I I want to be like Jesus. I want to deny myself, my own wants, and I want to embrace a life of others, which is so fulfilling. But also, here's what we've connected. We want to do that. The way that we do that is the Jesus way. But also, what are we here for? We are here for the renewal of our city. And if you're going to grab one word that summarized this church and what we're about, it would be that word, renewal. Now, I don't know how much of you know much about the Bible, whether you've read a little bit or a lot of it, but the Bible is amazingly connected, right? So there's two parts in the Bible, what we would call the Old Testament, which is the Jewish Bible, and what we would call the the New Testament, which is uh, the collections of writings about Jesus, which are called the Gospels and the letters of Paul. And there's uh, also a book of Revelation, which is this amazing kind of uh, apocalyptic vision, which kind of brings everything to a close. It's amazingly connected. But let me show this uh, picture here. This is a graphical illustration. I don't know if you've ever seen this before. There are 66,000, over 66,000 cross-references and uh, this particular guy, a pastor and uh, a scientist, created a computer program to demonstrate that graphically. So this is incredible. And actually, uh, you can look this up, but actually the closer that you get, the more detail that you get in this beautiful arc, this beautiful picture of the connectedness of the message of God. Who's ever seen that before? Okay, pretty, pretty cool, right? They, uh, one uh, speaker has said the Bible is the first hyperlinked book, all right? So over 66,000 cross-references all through the Bible. Now, the Bible starts in a garden, if you've ever read it, the book of Genesis. The garden is the place where God and people walk together. They walk in this close, close relationship. And here's what happens. Sin comes in. We reject God as humanity. And then the rest of the Bible is this journey back to the garden. Because guess what? The last book of the Bible, Revelation, and you can see that arc. You know what it ends with? It ends with a picture of us in eternity back in the garden, back in that place where God has renewed and restored and revitalized our relationship with Him. And this is really, really important. Starts and finishes in a garden. Now, I shared this with a group of people uh, yesterday, but I don't know if you know anything about the temple and the tabernacle. The design of that is that we read in the book of Genesis that Adam and Eve were cast out of the, out of the garden. They were cast out to the east. All right, so they were, they were cast out over here to the east. And the journey, the tabernacle and the temple, uh, the tabernacle of Moses and the temple of uh, Solomon 
were created in a way to symbolize that journey back in through the garden. All the, the ornaments and the priest's way of traveling. It comes from the court of the Gentiles to the court of the women, to court of Israel, to the court of the priests, to the holy place and the holy of holies. It is a journey, symbolic journey, traveling eastwards, tra- traveling uh, in a westward dis- uh, direction back into the garden. That's God's plan for us as a people is that we start to journey back into relationship and wholeness with God. So what do we mean by renewal? What we mean by renewal is we mean that God has made us a new creation. We, are, we describe the Christian experience of coming to God as new birth, new life. We have a new identity. We have a new way of thinking, a new lens at looking at life, a new way of looking at each other. 2 Corinthians 5 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, and the new is here. This is what it means to be renewed. It means that the things in my old life, who's got some things they'd rather forget? Some things that they did that they regret. Some things that they did that sometimes try and continually continue to have a negative effect on your life. We all do. But God says, you're new. You're not just fixed up. You're not just patched up. You're not just taken to the panel beater. You are totally new. God has given you a new identity, a new life. But here's what renewal means. Renewal means that God changes our heart first, and then out of that, everything flows. Have you ever been in a situation or a circumstance where uh, all all the information for a decision was going to go in one way? You knew what the outcome was, and then someone said, wait a minute, I've had a change of heart. I don't want to do that anymore. Who's had a, a situation, a circumstance like that? I remember uh, when I was about 14 years old. So uh, my parents are here. Um, my dad and mum are wonderful parts of this church. And uh, growing up, I was a pretty naughty kid. Like, yeah, I was just pretty, just wanted to do my own thing. All right. And I don't know if anyone grew up like this. Did anyone get like uh, the belt? Yeah, we got. Oh, that's a that's a great response there. It's excitement, excitement in the place, right? So I used to I used to get the belt. There's a scripture in the Bible. I don't know if you know. It says, "Spare the rod, spoil the child," and that was taken quite literally in our house. Never out of anger. And my dad would. Uh, I think I, I got the belt way more than my, my brother and sister, okay? But what he would do is when he was having these conversations, he'd explain that and he would start to smooth things and organize things and put everything. And I, I, I realized that I do that. So anyway, I'm regularly getting the belt for all kinds of disobedient behavior. And I remember one time I grew up in Thailand and uh, I think I was about 14 years old and we were out to dinner with some friends of ours, and 
my dad said to me, he said, I was, we were outside the restaurant, I was running around with, with my friend, uh, kind of tall, a bit like I am, a bit lanky, not super coordinated and uh, still aren't so much today. And uh, so I was there and my dad said to me, you need to stop running around or you're going to hurt somebody. And do you know what I did? I said, yes, Father, your will be done. No, I didn't. I didn't stop. And I actually continued to run and I knocked a lady over. And you could imagine that my dad was uh, less than impressed. And he said, look, when you get home, you're going to get a consequence. And so I knew what that meant. And on the way home, I remember the, the car ride. We had this kind of Hilux ute that was kind of converted over. Uh, if you've ever been to, to Asia, that's, it's reasonably common. You've got this kind of fiberglass shell on the back. And, and I was sitting there in uh, the traffic on the way home. And I said, I prayed this prayer. It's a true story. I said, God, if you're a God of mercy... I pray that you would deliver me. Okay, So I prayed this prayer. And, you know, it's a good thing. When you pray a prayer, you also want to take action. So I got home and I took some action. True story. Went into my room, put a couple of extra pairs of underpants on <laughs> and got ready. Now, when Dad said, okay, it's time, time for us to have a chat. And um, we sat there, he started kind of smoothing things and arranging things, and I was like, okay, I know what's what's next. Um, And he said to me, Andrew, I don't know why, but I've had a change of heart, and I'm not going to give you the belt today. Who knows? That only God can bring about a change of heart. Now, here's what God wants to do. And that was from there, I think, well, about that time I had, a, I had a radical encounter with the Holy Spirit myself, which changed my life, but I never ever got the belt again by the glory of God. Okay? All praise to Him. Because <laughs> it hurt. To God be the glory. But who knows that God is in the business of changing hearts and renewing and bringing grace and mercy and transforming us from our innermost being. And he wants to do that. Now, sometimes we think that when we make that decision, that it's like magic and we get the wand and all our problems disappear. Or other people just think, okay, I've made this decision, I've got Jesus, but I'm just going to struggle through my brokenness. And neither of those are true. What is true is that as, we, uh, as God moves in our heart and we allow Him space to move in our heart and we commit to reforming our minds, that He begins to change the way that we talk, He begins to change the way that we think from the inside out. And things that bothered you before, Don't bother you anymore. I remember uh, a couple of years ago, I was talking uh, with a a guy and and, uh, we were uh, helping him 
praying with him and supporting him. And he had a lot of issues with his ex-wife and she used to find ways to really, he, he just, he couldn't deal with their relationship. And I said, hey, you, you need to just start praying for her and praying for the love of God to be upon her and praying that God would bless her with his love. And he was a very polite person. And he said, yes, yes, Pastor Andrew, but I knew that that was hard for him. And you know what he did? He did that. And he said to me two weeks later, he said, you know what? What used to bother me before didn't bother me. That same conversation, that is a change of heart. That's an example of what used to bother you, what used to stress you out. You carry a different piece. It's not behavior modification per se. It's an inward transformation, the renewing power of Jesus through the Holy Spirit that begins to transform your life. Now, here's the thing. We don't just want that for ourselves. We believe that that's a message that is worth sharing and a, and a lived reality. It is a lived reality. It's not just theory for us as we embrace the person and the pattern and the power of Jesus. But today, I want to talk about the renewal of our city. When we read the Bible and when you study it, you find a compelling picture of how God wants to transform communities, wants economies to thrive, wants families to thrive. It's all here. There is a pattern for living. There's a pattern for dealing with each other with integrity, with honour. There's a pattern of being honest and honourable in the workplace. And it's all contained here. And this is part of what God wants us first to live but also wants us to share and have influence in our everyday. And Jesus cares deeply about our city and community, more than we do. He cares not just about the spiritual well-being, definitely about the spiritual well-being. He also cares about the social well-being of our city. He cares about the the health of our families. Who knows that if you have a, a home environment that is healthy, that is peaceful, that you can, like everything else, you know, you can deal with that. But there are times and seasons, most of the time, not by our own doing, but sometimes where, by our own actions, where those environments are not healthy or whole. And Jesus cares deeply about that. He wants that environment to be healthy and whole, the home to be a place of peace a place of the presence of God. He cares about people with mental health issues. He cares about those people that are doing it tough and he invites us to do the same. Now, I want to talk briefly about a character in the Bible called Nehemiah. And we, from his story, we want to learn about God's heart and God's vision for the renewal of our city. So in about uh, 586 BC, the city of Jerusalem was under siege by the Babylonians, all right? So it was like a 30-month siege. And the Bible talks about desperate situations, even at that time, where parents were eating their kids, okay? This is, I don't know all the details of what would happen, but this is like, this is not good. You're under siege for 30 months. 
And so it comes to a culmination, and there's a king called Zedekiah. He escapes from Jerusalem, and he's chased by the Babylonians. The Bible records that they capture him, and then the Babylonians kill his sons while he's watching and then blind him. So this is like brutal. This is not just actual warfare, but this is psychological warfare. They are sending messages to these people. And so uh, then we see eventually what happens is they send another Babylonian commander and they decide to actually demolish the whole city, steal all the gold artifacts from the temple of Solomon, and they actually just say, we are going to utterly destroy the city. Archaeologists have found even more recently the layer of dust and the layer of ash that they can pinpoint this exact time. And this was a time of devastation where the capital of the nation, the place of worship for the nation was utterly destroyed. Every significant building was leveled and knocked knocked over. And this was a time of heartbreak. People were sent away to foreign lands, exiled. And then there was a change in the, uh, the regional superpower from the Babylonians to the Persians. And that allowed the people to come back and start to rebuild. And they did that in a number of different phases. But here we come to the call of Nehemiah in Nehemiah chapter 1. And it says the words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th, 12th, uh, 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hananiah, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remem- remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. So here's what's happening. Nehemiah is in uh, he's in exile and one, someone comes from, the, uh, from Jerusalem and he begins to ask him questions. And here's what they said, verse 3, Nehemiah chapter 1. They said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the, and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down. And its gates have been burnt with fire. And here's what he says. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. And for some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And today I want to give us three things from this passage of Scripture about how we as a church can begin to turn ourselves, our hearts towards our city and with bold faith embrace this call to be a church that exists to see renewal in our city. And the first is this, that God wants to move our hearts before we move our hands. God wants to move our hearts before We move our hands. There is a lot to do, but unless we are deeply connected and deeply aligned with the heart of God for people, anything that we do 
will not have the type of impact. When you see the world, when you walk through your day to day, do you walk slow enough? Do you notice people? Do you capture God's heart for people? Do you have you learnt to say, okay, this person is really annoying? God, what is your heart? What is going on beyond that? And I don't know if you're like me, but I've just got a tendency to judge people by their outward appearance without actually noticing and seeing who they really are and what God is doing in their life. And that's what he wants to do. He wants to move our heart. I remember one time I was in a shopping centre and uh, there was a, a man, he was uh, from, from the Middle East, uh, he was a middle-aged man and he was collecting the trolleys and uh, this young lady, she was in a rush, she had a lot of kids and she was just busy, 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 didn't notice him, backed out, hit him, went back in, didn't stop and then left. And I was like, whoa, I went over to that guy like, are you okay? And he said, he said to me, he said, don't, don't worry, it happens all the time. And I thought, what kind of a place? And I, I, I've been that person, I'll bet. I've been in too much of a rush, too much of a, a hurry to notice that the impact that we can have on our community and God wants to move our hearts. He wants to change our hearts to see people, to value people, to see the, to honour them and to see the dignity of every human being, that every person is made in the image of God, not to undervalue people. God wants to move our hearts before we move our hands. And I believe that there is an element where God wants to give us a bigger heart and a bigger burden for the people in our city. And at times, he wants us to feel their pain. And he wants, like Nehemiah did, that pain. He wants to break our hearts. He wants to move our hearts in the way that he is moved, in the way that his heart is orientated towards people. And he also wants that pain, that movement of our heart to become a catalyst which motivates us. But before we go out and before we do things, he wants to move our hearts, to align our hearts with his mission, with his heart, with his compassion for people. Really interesting in the uh, Paul's letter to the Philippians, he talks about the Philippians renewing their concern. You know, sometimes life, busyness, pain, heartache, sometimes our care factor can just be low. We, if we're honest, without a filter, we'd be like, to be honest, I just got too much going on. I, I don't, I can't care. I just, I, or I don't care. But God wants to change our hearts and move our hearts. The second thing is this. 
God has placed you for a purpose, start where you are. Now, a lot of time when we get God's heart and when we, we get that passion, we like, okay, well, either like, like, but okay, maybe I've got to quit my job. You know, I, I, I want to do that, but I'm, I'm not a pastor. I'm not a counsellor. Maybe I'm, I'm broke or maybe I have a lot of money, but I don't have any time or whatever it is for you. We find ways to limit. But what God is calling us to do is say, hey, I've, I've placed you where you are for a purpose. 1 Corinthians 7, 17. It says, only let each person lead the life that God has assigned to him to which God has called him. What this means is that in any given moment, wherever you are, God has called you to that place. If you're a lawyer, God has called you to be a lawyer. If you're a stay-at-home mom, God has called you to be a stay-at-home mom or a stay-at-home dad. If you are in real estate, God has called you to be in that time. If you're in retail, God has called you to be in that time. If you're in insurance, if you're in the medical profession, if you're a nurse or a doctor, wherever you are, a florist, wherever you are, God has called you. You need to recognize that that is the place that we start. And if we don't do that, we're always deferring. We're always saying, okay, yeah, okay, one day when I am, when I have this much money in my bank, when I have more time. And God says... Start wherever you are. Start wherever you are. And for Nehemiah, we see in uh, verse 11, he was cupbearer to the king. Now this was a role of incredible influence, but I would say it would also be a bit of a dangerous role, right? If you step out of line, you could maybe lose your head. Or end up in prison. And so there's a number of different ways, but Nehemiah chose to start where he was. The third and final thing I'm going to invite uh, the keys back is this we can make a big difference through small actions. We can make a big difference. And so we've got this community, we've got this city filled with so much brokenness and sometimes we can be overwhelmed and actually even saying sometimes that's okay to feel the weight of that. But don't let that stop you from starting where you are and don't let that stop you doing small things, taking small steps Small actions. Who's ever heard of an organization, global organization called World Vision? One of the world's uh, most active charities, right? It started 50s and 60s and depends when you look at the origin. And one of the, the gentlemen who founded it was a guy by the name of Bob Pierce. And he was traveling around through... Uh, China and, uh, and India at the time. And he recalls a story where he had this conversation with an impoverished 
a lady in China and she took him to see this young boy who had no future, no hope, no resources in a slum. And she asked this question, what are you going to do for him? Bob had five dollars, five US dollars in his pocket. And he gave that money to her and he said, here, I want you to take this. It's all he had. I want you to take this five dollars and I'm going to find a way to send you five dollars every month for this kid. This is a big part of how World Vision started. It's changed over time to be more about a community development model and building stronger communities. But here's the point. Sometimes we can limit. We limit ourselves. We say, if I, if I can only give a little, then that won't matter. And God wants to see our, us to see ourselves in our role, not just as a drop in the ocean, but as a snowball. Right, A drop in the ocean is insignificant. But a snowball is a catalyst. And sometimes the catalyst of that snowball is the effect of others. But sometimes that small act actually starts something within us that begins to build within us a cycle of generosity. A life of generosity is not based on what you have. It's based on what you give. It's based on how you live. It's based on saying, hey, this small thing that I've got, I want to give it in honour and worship to God to bless others. And that's what God has called us to do. So here's what I want us to do and what I'm inviting you to do. God's called us to lift our vision, to set our sights. And some of you, you're like, you're good to go. You know what God's called you to do. You're operating in this space. But for others of you, it's this time to say, Hey, God, give me your heart for people. Give me your heart for people. Help me to see people. God, I know you've placed me in this workplace. Maybe you love your job. Maybe you hate your job. Maybe you're going to be there for a long time. Maybe you're going to be there for a short time. But whatever it is, come approach each day and say, God, how can I be a blessing in this time? Whether it's a joyous moment, whether it's a difficult moment, how can I be a blessing in this environment? Ask Him. Ask Him to move your heart. Ask Him to change your passions. Ask Him to give you that heart that puts others first. Ask Him, why are you here? Go to a work. Hey God, what, what do you got? A lot of the times it's to, the main reason you're at work is to do a good job that honours God. But there are also different ways that we can positively influence the environment. You know, God has called us to be a thermostat, not a thermometer. A thermometer tells the temperature. A thermostat sets the temperature. Do you know that every environment that you are called into, God has called you to change that environment by His grace through the power of the Holy Spirit to release the overflow, to release the goodness and glory of God. And if you're in an environment that is unhealthy, that is toxic, you don't have to stay there for uh, forever. 
But I'm just saying, recognize the power that God has placed within you to release goodness and grace and the glory of God in that environment. Real quick. So those are some of the things that that I, I encourage you to do, to pray, to seek God. I also want to let you know that practically as a church, we are setting our vision to do a small thing over the next three years to help others to see transformation, to see renewal. And that's this. Over the next three years, our goal is to give $100,000 away to community, to missions and care. I think it's a small thing, right? It's going to be a stretch for us, but it's something that we can do to see renewal as part of prayer. And every time that you give into our offering in the next three years, you will be giving into that because that's part of who we are. Can we pray together? Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for your presence. Just begin to uh, just invite the presence of God into your life. Holy Spirit, speak to hearts. I pray even in this moment that you would move hearts, that you would speak to people. Some of you are new to this. You're like, I, I don't know what's happening, but kind of something's happened, but I'm not sure. But God, you'd bring clarity. You'd help us have a heart of compassion for our world. You'd help us to look outward and you'd help us to trust you that when we do, you will supply our every need. God, we declare as a church that we don't exist for ourselves, for our own benefit, that we exist to glorify you. We exist to see your mighty power move in this city, but we exist also to see renewal, to help others, to see the presence of God, to see the hands and feet of Jesus, to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And we thank you for this in the mighty name of God. Amen. Thank you for listening. You can find out more about City Lights Church at www.citylights.community.